welcome to the Frontline Gastroenterology Podcast. On the paper, Neuroendocrine Tumors, What Gastroenterologists Need to Know, due to be published in Frontline Gastroenterology in September 2020. My name is Dr. Philip Smith, Associate Editor and Social Media Editor of Frontline Gastroenterology and Consultant Gastroenterologist at the Royal Liverpool Hospital, Liverpool, United Kingdom. And I extend a very warm welcome to Dr. Mohid Khan, Consultant Gastroenterologist and Lead of the Wales Net Service in Cardiff, Wales. Dr. Khan is the first author on this excellent paper. Dr. Khan, thank you very much for joining me today to do this podcast, especially at this very difficult time in the world, and congratulations on your excellent paper. Firstly, as your paper title suggests, Gastroenterologists as a whole are not as confident or familiar with NET's diagnosis and management, possibly as a result of uh, lack of formal training. And this paper is really useful as it tells us what we need to know. With that in mind, could you give us a brief overview of the epidemiology of NETs and how they are classified? Thank you, Phil. So how NETs or neuroendocrine tumours are, are classified, well, f- to begin with, uh, we the terminology can be a little bit confusing and um, the umbrella term now is neuroendocrine neoplasms or NENs and we have a number of different types of neuroendocrine neoplasms um, the majority of which are neuroendocrine tumours uh, and the most aggressive being neuroendocrine carcinomas or NECs. In terms of how we classify them, generally when we're uh, describing them, it's due to it's from anatomical site. So the most frequent uh, primary tumours we find in uh, nets are small intestine, and that's used to be called the classical carcinoid. Uh, pancreas, so we call them pancreatic nets. Um, lung or bronchial nets gastric nets, rectal nets. So we classify according to anatomical site of the primary um, and also they are very heterogeneous and um, that's probably why it's a confusing topic for gastroenterologists uh, and gastroenterology uh, trainees. In terms of epidemiology, they were thought to be rare um, but uh, there is rising incidence, which has been seen and um, detailed in a no- number of papers, uh, the first of which were the American uh, papers based on the SEER uh, database, um, where the incidence was um, quoted um, up to uh, about seven per 100,000. Um, now in the UK, we have uh, more recent data uh, from our uh, public health colleagues across the home nations, uh, where the incidence is rising up to uh, nine per 100,000. And the prevalence can be up to 50 per 100,000. And this is actually then the, the second most prevalent gastrointestinal cancer due to the uh, lengthy uh, survival. Thank you, um, um, Dr. Khan, uh, for that uh, explanation. So now could you talk us through how patients may typically present and how a frontline gastroenterologist should approach 
investigating it, Annette? Patients present in a number of ways, and there's no typical presentation of NETs. Patients can present at a late stage of disease uh, with widespread metastases. Uh, some of these patients present with vague symptoms. Um, however, the classical carcinoid syndrome, which is from secretion of the um, serotonin and other hormones causing diarrhea and flushing uh, occurs when you have metastases from a small bowel or a bronchial net and the uh, diarrhea it can be varied but it's usually a, a secretory diarrhea. Um, the flushing is a dry flush rather than a wet flush and if you have those symptoms um, uh, in a patient that's when you should suspect the carcinoid syndrome. Uh, as a result of metastatic uh, neuroendocrine tumour from the small bowel or the lung. Um, the, a number of patients will present with vague, nonspecific gastrointestinal symptoms um, if they have a pancreatic or small bowel primary with uh, symptoms that could mimic other conditions such as inflammatory bowel disease or irritable bowel syndrome. And these would include abdominal bloating, abdominal pain, uh, change in bowel habit, which generally is more chronic, uh, change in bowel habit, weight loss in, in some patients, and malnutrition towards uh, the later stages of disease. How uh, frontline gastroenterologists should approach this is um, if you've got a symptomatic patient, um, you should first of all think about the, the common diagnosis that most frontline gastroenterologists would do in a general gastroenterology, gastroenterology clinic in um, excluding uh, GI cancer, um, looking for inflammatory bowel disease. But if um, anyone presents with uh, diarrhea, which is persistent despite excluding a number of uh, common gastrointestinal conditions, that's when the um, uh, alarm bell should be raised and people should be investigating with imaging of the abdomen, particularly in an older age group. Um, the 24-hour urinary 5-HIAA is only raised in that carcinoid syndrome I talked about. Um, should not really be used as a screening test for anyone with diarrhea. Generally, you would have some tumour seen on imaging. Uh, before arranging that uh, urinary test. Uh, chromogranin A can be useful when we have imaging and biopsy confirmed uh, diagnosis of neuroendocrine tumour. However, chromogranin A again is, has, um, uh, can be raised in a number of um, uh, other conditions and also in proton pump inhibitor use and renal failure. So again, shouldn't be used as a screening test. You've got a, a set of symptoms. Imaging is the key uh, really in diagnosing a net. Secondly, you have patients who present incidentally, incidental findings at endoscopy uh, for upper GI symptoms. We, we perform an upper GI endoscopy and quite often in the net centers, we've, uh, we found that other people have diagnosed small gastric neuroendocrine tumors which have their specific management. And again, at colonoscopy or flexible sigmoidoscopy for other reasons or at screening, um, uh, rectal neuroendocrine tumors 
can be found and people also can have imaging for other conditions or um, even trauma, uh, for example, where imaging can reveal incidental pancreatic lesions um, which are hypervascular and turn out to be neuroendocrine uh, tumors. The gold standard for any uh, net is a histology, and uh, we uh, will often uh, advise from the net MDT or net center for biopsy confirmation, even if there is uh, a strong suspicion. Uh, this confirms the diagnosis. Um, so EUS guided biopsy for pancreatic lesions, uh, liver biopsy for metastatic liver disease, obviously biopsies at endoscopy. And that um, histology is key in defining what type of net it is, uh, what grade of uh, net, um, which I can come on to, and uh, will also determine treatment options. Um, the degree of differentiation is also important uh, with net. Uh, most are well differentiated and that those tend to grow slowly and have a better prognosis than the poorly differentiated uh, neuroendocrine neoplasms, which we call neuroendocrine carcinomas or NECs. Uh, and they are rare, the, uh, the NECs, um, but are very aggressive and would require chemotherapy. So uh, there are a number of uh, modalities of imaging, um, CT, um, MRI, and we also have nuclear medicine imaging. Um, we have octreotide scans and um, gallium-68 dotatate PET scans. Um, these are similar with the gallium-68 dotatate PET scans being, having a higher resolution and detecting um, smaller lesions and really gives you a detailed picture in order to stage the uh, disease. Um, the octreotide scan um, will miss smaller lesions. How they, are, um, how they pick up lesions is that a slightly radioactive octreotide is injected into the body and this binds to somatostatin receptors. Somatostatin receptors are uh, expressed and overexpressed or by um, neuroendocrine tumors, particularly the lower grade and well differentiated nets. And um, the imaging, either based on the octotide scan or a higher resolution PET scan, will uh, then detect the uh, radioactive octotide uh, bound to the somatostatin receptors. So we have uh, a number of presentations, symptomatic, uh, versus incidental. Um, there are uh, rare pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors that will secrete the, the insulin-causing insulinomas, the gastrin-causing gastrinomas, with a typical presentation of gastrinomas being the um, uh, repeated uh, gastrointestinal ulceration or uh, refractory gastrointestinal bleeding or small bowel stricturing. Um, and then imaging, uh, is important, uh, CT, MRI, endoscopic ultrasound for pan pancreas, endoscopy, uh, upper and lower GI, uh, depending on the whether it's a gastric or rectal or colonic net, 
And the key is histology. And we really try and uh, advise uh, histological diagnosis. Thank you um, for that very uh, comprehensive overview, um, which I'm sure would be very helpful to our uh, listeners. Could you now explain the principles of treatment of NETs uh, and how you would uh, approach the management of a NET, including metastatic disease if possible, and also what explain what the determinants of prognosis are for NETs? Treatment of uh, NETs can be quite complex and should occur in the setting or advised by the, the setting of a, a multidisciplinary team uh, which has expertise in NETs. And there are various NET centres in the UK, in Europe, uh, and uh, further afield. The principle of treatment of NETs is aligned with other cancers of the gastrointest- gastrointestinal tract. But can be complicated by the fact that, as well as a cancer, it is a chronic disease, uh, which requires different treatments at different times and surgery at different times, possibly. Um, Initially, uh, upon diagnosis, um, cure is offered, uh, cure is offered by uh, resection, surgical resection. So if there is a localized small intestine on the endocrine tumor seen on imaging with a few lymph nodes, um, then that uh, patient could be offered a uh, right hemicolectomy if it's in internal ileum. Similar pancreatic nets can uh, be offered um, pancreatectomies depending on the uh, site within the pancreas. So surgery is the first option that should be considered in localized uh, nets. Um, There is the option of uh, active monitoring or watching and waiting. And we have this option available for some of the um, uh, more indolent nets, the small type one gastric nets. Um, Occasionally, some of the uh, small intestinal nets can uh, be actively monitored. the most patients we see tend to have more advanced disease and surgery is not an option. And in locally advanced and metastatic disease, the mainstay of treatment for the majority of uh, low-grade nets are somatostatin analogs uh, with either octreotide or lanreotide, long-acting injections every four weeks, which in large multicentered randomized controlled trials have shown to improve um, uh, outcomes, and those outcomes are uh, progression-free survival. Also, these um, somatostatin analog injections can reduce the amount of hormones secreted by uh, some of the uh, tumours. So, for example, in carcinoid syndrome, treatment with octreotide or lanreotide can reduce the symptoms of flushing and diarrhoea. So somatostatin analogues have uh, a dual action in reducing the hormonal secretion if it is a functional tumour, if it, that is if it's secreting hormones, but also, which the majority of nets are, where it's non-functional, not secreting hormones, and these injections of somatostatin analogues actually 
prolonged survival. There are second, um, third line, fourth line treatments, um, uh, which we don't need to go into too much detail. Um, we have sunitinib, everolimus um, for pancreatic nets. Uh, we have radioactive uh, somatostatin analogs. So somatostatin analogs bound to a radioactive molecule of lutetium called lutathera, and we call that peptide receptor radionuclide therapy, and that's an advanced treatment. Um, we can also, similar to HCC, um, uh, perform hepa um, hepatic artery embolization for some of uh, some bulky liver metastases. So there's a quite a complex um, decisions to be made with surgery, with these advanced treatments. But for frontline gastroenterologists, I'd say that the, the mainstay of treatment initially for the low-grade nets would be somatostatin analogs or active monitoring. And uh, that requires uh, net MDT discussion. In terms of prognosis, we've alluded to before that the histology is really important. Um, uh, there are a number of prognostic indicators in, in various papers and also in the European Neuroendocrine Tumor Society guidelines. Uh, these include GRADE. GRADE are based on a um, proliferative marker, uh, proliferative marker stain on the cells of the tumor uh, under the microscope. And the higher this key 67 marker, the, the higher the grade. And so we have uh, grade one, two, three, uh, the grade three being more aggressive and having a worse prognosis than those with grade one nets. Um, other prognostic markers, the histology is well differentiation versus poorly differentiated uh, neuroendocrine neoplasms. So poorly differentiated neuroendocrine neoplasms have a much worse prognosis. Um, uh, the stage is also prognostic, so a stage four or, or a patient who has widespread metastatic disease has a uh, has worse outcome and overall survival than someone with a locally advanced uh, neuroendocrine tumor. Also, the site of net is prognostic, so some of the appendix or gastric nets tend to have excellent prognosis uh, as opposed to uh, some pancreatic nets. But um, quite a lot of the patients with metastatic neuroendocrine tumors, particularly from the small intestine, can survive for a decade or more uh, in certain cases. Um, there are a number of different prognostic markers, which I won't go into, but certainly chromogranin A is uh, one of them. Thank you. Again, a, a fantastic answer and um, something that I think would be really useful to our listeners as well. Um, so could you finally suggest your key tips or points um, um, for frontline gastroenterologists to remember about NETS and their investigation and management? What are the key things that um, people need to remember or know? Key tips for frontline gastroenterologists. With NETS, uh, the GI tract and pancreas are the most common locations. Um, and so gastroenterologists are going to come across them um, more so than other specialities, apart from GI surgery. Um, and they're often delayed routes to diagnosis due to the vague symptoms or patients with a chain in bowel habit just having a colonoscopy and being discharged. Um, 
so it is i guess the key tip is to um, being aware of neuroendocrine tumors of the small intestine and possibly pancreas when considering someone with abdominal symptoms which may be vague which could mimic ibs or ibd um, over a certain age um, so in an older age group um, if there are new onset symptoms or even persistent symptoms be um, then investigate with imaging to identify any neuroendocrine tumors characterization of neuroendocrine tumors um, involves imaging we've mentioned the nuclear medicine imaging we mentioned but only after generally a biopsy and histology is the key so histology is usually the key for any cancer diagnosis and um, nets are, are one of these cases um, describe the net by primary site uh, which organ it is in gastric rectal small bowel pancreas by grade once you have the histology grade one two three stage or at least localized or locally advanced versus metastatic and secretory status whether the tumor is secreting hormones so that will tell you whether it's a functional versus a non-functional net resection is advised for most localized nets and the somatostatin analog injections which are long acting are the first line treatment for most nets with multiple treatment options available after that um, within a well-resourced specialized net multidisciplinary team meeting prognosis can vary um, immensely with some patients surviving a decade or more but there are more aggressive uh, neuroendocrine tumors and the prognostic factors i mentioned can help predict that i believe and the community believes gastroenterologists do have a, a key role to play in the diagnosis and management of neuroendocrine tumors right the way from diagnosis through to treatment and palliation it is a cancer as well as a chronic disease and we are involved in diagnosing these endoscopically for the endoscopic nets we see the patients when they have their initial set of symptoms when we may be thinking about ibs or ibd and we're involved in their diagnostic pathways together with our surgical colleagues during treatment patients may encounter a number of gastrointestinal symptoms such as bile acid malabsorption from having a small bowel resection um, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth pancreatic insufficiency from uh, the side effects of somatostatin analogs so there are a number of gastrointestinal symptoms which gastroenterologists can help manage and improve quality of life and this is what we found uh, with data uh, in wales and educating gastroenterologists and surgeons actually has reduced the time to diagnosis as well as quality of life, especially using patient reported outcome measures. So overall, uh, gastroenterologists do have a, a, a key role to play in the management of NETs together with the other specialities as part of a NET MDT.
Well, uh, I completely agree, Dr. Khan, and um, I must say thank you very much for doing this podcast today. Um, it's been superb. I've learned a lot. Um, and congratulations on your fantastic paper, which will be published in Frontline Gastroenterology soon. To the listeners, um, follow the link underneath this podcast to the paper, and we look forward to you listening to future podcasts in the future. Mm-hmm.